Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, September 21st edition of ATS.io Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'm joined by professional handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. We'll talk week four college football. We'll talk week three NFL. We'll have some highlight games and topics for you. All kinds of stuff to break down here on today's show. Before we get to that, head on over to ATS.io. I've got my MLB article up for today, along with college football and NFL opening line reports. My updated week four college football power ratings also posted over at ATS.io for you to check out, including my spreads for all the games here in week four. And also throughout the week, we'll be covering the top sportsbook promotions. Lots of great offers from the different places out there. Uh, bet $1, win $100 promos. We got the Make It Rain promos over at PointsBet. Tons of stuff going on over at ATS.io, covering the industry news and covering the legal sports betting landscape in the United States on a daily basis over there. And of course, doing ATS.io radio, I'll chat with Brian Blessing tomorrow. I'll probably do the betters box tomorrow as well for the last week here of the MLB regular season. And on Thursday, we'll chat with Brad Powers, professional handicapper, from bradpowersports.com before I give you my week three circa picks on Friday. So lots coming your way here this week on ATS.io radio. And a lot coming your way on today's show here with, as I mentioned, Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going pretty well, man. It's a Monday morning, so things may start a little bit slow, but uh, pretty good day here. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. You know, things uh, cooling off for the weekend, kind of warming up now for the week. But uh, we're definitely in the fall season here. I think today is actually the first day of fall, isn't it? Um, you you know, you're not uh, you're not a pumpkin spice latte kind of guy, are you? I'm not. I'm not. My my wife would be that type of person, but not me. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm. Uh, I don't even like fall beers that much. I'm not even a big Oktoberfest or, or Marzen guy. I'm still my you know trusty traditional IPA guy, unless I'm drinking bush lights to drink in volume so not much changes for me alcohol wise in the fall i was gonna say my my wife would be pretty upset to hear that somebody doesn't like oktoberfest yeah <laughs> I, I would i wouldn't mind going to oktoberfest right, right one time but uh yeah obviously not a whole lot of traveling going on here unless of course you you play football and a lot of traveling and a lot of interesting spots in the nfl this week which we'll talk about once we get to that portion of the show we got a couple teams flying all the way back to California just to come back east again. Probably without COVID, that wouldn't be a thing. So, you know, we're still sort of navigating this COVID landscape uh, for college football and the NFL. And something I know that you wanted to highlight here, we've talked about this already the first two weeks of ATS.io radio regarding, you know, market entry and jumping in on some of these games early in the week, trying to get some line value out of them even though we do have that endless uncertainty of injuries and, and more specifically COVID, but you sort of had, I don't want to call it an epiphany last week, but you kind of drew a line in the sand and said, you know what? I got to start taking some of these chances playing some of these games earlier in the week. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things that's been my strengths here in the past is that I, I'm pretty good at predicting line moves and, and grabbing them early in the week, being able to take advantage of, of getting a better number before everybody gets on that. And I've been cautious this year and it's really hurt me, you know, just for example, the Miami Louisville over last week, you know, thought about that one too long and then thought, well, I can't take it when it's up five points from what the opener was passed on that. Obviously it flies way over the total. I took the Louisville side. So 
bad move by me on that one. Uh, had the right had the right thought to start with, but I have to say it's been a little bit hard here early in the season because you want to be cautious. You want to be careful, but at the same time, everybody else is still betting early in the week, or there's a lot of people entering the market early in the week. So if I just sit here and wait until Friday and play all all my plays on Friday, I'm getting burnt on the line move pretty badly. So I'm going to have to bet on these games earlier in the week, at least some of the time, especially the totals. I did play one side last night as well, um, pretty much on the open. I, I I think that you know when I see really good value, I'm going to go ahead and take it because it's it's obviously possible that you know that could burn me as well from you know somebody being ruled out or something like that but um just sitting there and waiting on all my plays has not been working out great so this is kind of one of those things that we talked about it might have to be a as we go type of thing and i'm going to try to meet in the middle now not play quite as many early in the week as i did last year but i also just can't sit and not play anything well i think it's also challenging too because you know, even if we take COVID out of the equation for a few minutes here, you know, it's still early in the year and we're still adjusting our power ratings. We're still, you know, for you creating your own totals, you're still adjusting to some of the tempo changes and stuff like that, where we only have a couple of data points for these teams. You don't want to overreact too much to those, you know, in that respect, it's kind of a traditional season, but then you factor in all this COVID uncertainty, the limited practices, no spring, stuff like that. We're still trying to figure out exactly what these teams are, and so are the odds makers. So the market is just not efficient right now, probably even less efficient than it is in a traditional year with all the uncertainty. So you know that, that you just sort of have to weigh that risk reward. And we talk all the time about risk profiles, you know, even dating back to when we were doing this for Bang the Book, you know, your aversion to risk, your level of embrace when it comes to risk. And generally speaking, you and I are relatively risk-averse handicappers, but we still want to get out there early in the week, grab that line value where we feel like we see it. And you know, yesterday I was running around uh, visiting some family and went to dinner with my parents and all that, and I was texting with Brad Powers and with you about some of the Circa numbers that I saw open up. And I'm just thinking, hey, you know, in a traditional year, I'm sitting there on Sundays waiting for the board to open, trying to pounce on some of those numbers. And this year I just I, I don't have that same that same excitement, that same desire to do that. But then I also see numbers moving in my favor, you know, towards my power ratings or towards my thoughts. And I'm like, damn, you know, I kind of had that same thought that you had. So it is sort of achieving that balance, uh, you know, early in every season, let alone, you know, with the challenges of this one. Yeah. And I, I I think that's a good point because you look at some of those lines on the opener and you say, damn, I could have had that. And instead I passed. And later in the week, you still kind of like the play, but if it's moved a lot, you know, for, for people like you and I, I think it's kind of hard to take something when you see how good the number could have been and then you you look and see what it is now. So um, I think I'd still be a little bit more cautious than normal as far as just firing at all kinds of things early in the week. But at the same time, uh, I think we got to start getting into some of those because the ones that I feel pretty strongly about usually move in that favor as far as the line. So, you know, sitting and waiting is not going to help very much in that case. So uh, it's we'll, we'll talk about it some more as we go throughout the course of the season, I'm sure, because, you know, things uh, we have to adjust and evolve here. And I just kind of wanted to mention that for myself as a better and a handicapper, that's just where I feel like I need to go now is that I, I can't just sit and wait all the time. Well, and, and specifically, too, you know, and, and this is – Kind of a slippery slope, I guess, to sort of start walking down a little bit. But, you know, 
it is ingrained in us to get the best of the number, you know, the best possible number that we can get. I mean, the best number out there in the world, maybe less than five people actually get. But, you know, we try to get the best number that we can. And, you know, you can understand the thought process, why it shows your efficiency of likely beating the market long term. If you get a good number, something better than the close, whether it wins or loses, it's a pretty good indicator of future success. But I think, too, you know, the the games where the number winds up mattering, you know, a situation where either a side or total gets middled or, you know, an underdog covers but loses the game outright, you know, stuff like that. The the number probably doesn't matter as much as we think it does as often as it probably should. So I think we do end up talking ourselves off of things sometimes to where you mentioned that total, you know, opens 59 or 60, gets to 65. You say, I can't play it. Because in our minds, we always think, I'm making five points of a bad number here. It's going to fall 62 or 63, and I'm going to lose, and it's going to piss me off because I probably shouldn't have played it since it moved so much. But more often than not, it probably does exactly what it did and gets up into the 80s anyway and wins clearing every number possible. So that's a hard part, too, is that you know for that small percentage of games where the number winds up mattering, those are the ones that we remember. We don't remember yeah. the ones where we took, you know, a quote unquote bad number and it won anyway, or all of the numbers lost. So maybe that's some of it too, is we kind of psych ourselves out sometimes just because we know we're supposed to get the best of the number. And if it moves that much, we're supposed to leave it alone. And maybe that is something that kind of hurts us more often than not. Yeah. And that's where I was going to go with it too, is you sure do remember those games where that line moved that much and it falls between where it started and then where you took it. I mean, those games are kind of ingrained in my memory so well that, you know, it makes it hard to take something way worse. But like you said, it is hard to get the very best of the number. Um, Even with the plays early in the week, it's hard to get the best of the number. Uh, I think though, that you can still usually get a better number early in the week than you can later in the week. If you're making your own numbers, And if you're pretty good at seeing where this goes, you know, as we talked about last week or the week before, I can't remember. um, If you're doing pretty good with your power ratings or setting numbers for totals, it's usually going to move in your direction from where the market starts. So, um, you know, if it's not, then that's not a very good sign. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's hard for people like myself and I think you you as well that, you know, I'm kind of risk averse. And and when I see a a big move like that, I say, man, I can't take that. You know, I could have had this earlier on. And, yeah, it's going to probably going to fall 63 and then I'm really going to be pissed. So, you know. We'll see how I adjust as the season goes, but I did want to at least bring that up that, you know, I can't just sit and wait on all these plays anymore. Well, and two fo- two last points here, and then we'll talk about some of our power ratings adjustments for week four. Uh, one of them is, you know, and I've seen this a lot of times, and, and it's still something that for whatever reason, I can't get hammered into my own head. I don't remember who said it. I wish I did, so I wish I could give them credit for it. But it was somebody on Twitter maybe two, three years ago that I was following. And, um, you know, it was a discussion about, you know, maybe not playing something early in the week, something like that. And he's like, well, if you don't trust your own numbers, who's going to trust them? You know, like, and and I post my numbers publicly over at ATS.io and I've posted my power ratings the last few years over at Bang the Book. And and that's just it. You know, if I'm not going to trust my own numbers when I put in the work, then what is the point in doing that? And, And I think that there is a lot of legitimacy to that. I think the caveat for you and I this year is we got a late start on college football because we didn't even know if it was going to happen. 
So we had an even smaller degree of confidence. You know, we, we are usually confident. I shouldn't put it that way. But we had a little less confidence in our numbers because these teams didn't practice. We maybe didn't do as much reading as we usually do. Um, you know, even some of the preseason mags wound up being either dated or just, you know, didn't have great information in them because so much had changed. Schedules had obviously changed a ton. So th- there was that part to it too. I think in a more traditional year, you and I would be sitting here talking about getting some good line value, playing some of these things early on in the week. But, you know, and I think too that you and I specifically, and I think a lot of people in the betting world are like this. We never get out of our own heads. We're, we're always either taking a pessimistic outlook to something or overanalyzing it and thinking too much about it. Maybe if we do the work, we just have to say, you know what, win or lose, I'm playing this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going all in. I'm not making a huge play on it, but I'm going to play this because it's going to hurt me and upset me more if I get a winner and don't play it than if I trust my numbers and it winds up losing. Then I just make an adjustment. Yeah, exactly. And I think the the best point there is what you said, you know, you read the Twitter post a couple of years ago where you say, you know, if you're not going to trust your own numbers, who's going to do it? And then if you go back and see, I should have trusted my own numbers, like you just said, and then that play wins easily, it's really frustrating. You know, it's like I put in all this time and I've been cramming all kinds of information in putting out, you know, what seemed to be pretty good numbers and I'm not trusting them. You know, that's a really frustrating thing. So, um, you know, yeah, it's been very uh, unique. It's still going to be a unique season. You know, we get all these cancellations and I know it's kind of frustrating for people who, you know, get a really good line on a game like, you know, Houston and Baylor for last week that ends up not happening. Um, at the same point, you know, what do we do? We can't really, there's, that's out of our control. So I feel like all we can do is try to do the best we can with what we've got in front of us. And, and for me, you know, I thought maybe we'd see less of these early week line moves, but you know, there, there's plenty of them going on. That's for sure. Yeah, most definitely. And and for those that are new listeners to ATS.io radio, I'm sure a lot of you just kind of uh, followed us over here from bang the book because we kept all the linkage the same so that, you know, we had all of our subscribers and all that coming over, but you know, if you just want picks, if you just want to run down a picks, that's not this show. We talk about a lot of games, but we talk a lot more about the concepts and about the philosophies of betting so that you can be more self-sustaining. You know, I mean, certainly we want you to read the content over at ATS.io, but, you know, we want you to be able to, to isolate these things and figure a lot of these things out for yourself. So that's why we harp a lot on power ratings and early week numbers and, and things of that sort, because those are things that, I think you need to have in your toolbox to be successful. So, you know, if, if you just want a long rundown of picks and whatever else, listen to some other jabroni over on YouTube or something like that. That's not what we do here on this show. We do do the highlight clips and the highlight games and stuff like that. But we like to talk about, you know, a lot more of the nuts and bolts, as I like to call them, of handicapping. And and for us specifically, Kyle, that means power ratings in college football to create our own numbers. And Again, these are kind of a, you know, a living organism. We just sort of have to make them adapt week in and week out to what's happening out there in the marketplace. And I know you and I both had some pretty significant moves here going into week four. I did a lot of cases, the same, same types of moves uh, for both of us. Yeah, Oklahoma State is first on my list. I have to say, I, I had high hopes for Oklahoma State. And uh, Spencer Sanders going down with an injury at the beginning of that game is really key. Um, I don't remember the name of the backup quarterback for Oklahoma State, but man, he looks bad. I mean, it's it's hard for a, 
it's hard to imagine they couldn't have somebody better than him as a backup quarterback. Um, I moved them down six and a half points if they're without Spencer Sanders. And to be honest with you, might, that might not be enough. Um, down two and a half with him. I thought the offensive line was really disappointing. I didn't expect Tulsa to be in the backfield constantly. I would have thought that Hubbard was going to get his yards no matter what. So Oklahoma State was a big move for me. Uh, Middle Tennessee State, MTSU. I moved them down five points. And I don't know if that was enough either. I, I think MTSU is a team that I could not bet on now. There's no way I want anything to do with them. It looks like a team that has some serious problems. I know some people are saying, is Stock still going to quit? Is he going to you know, be done after this year? Uh, in general, I've always thought Stockstill was a pretty good coach, but something's wrong with that team. They shouldn't be this bad. Uh, Miami, I moved up four and a half points. I've been too low on them. I was too low on them versus the market by quite a bit and was really impressed with their speed and special teams upgrades. I think that was something that I didn't factor in quite enough was, you know, uh, they've got an amazing kicker now and they've, they haven't had that in a long time. So also a good punter. Uh, Miami was impressive last week. And then Liberty, I know another team that you moved up quite a bit. Uh, Liberty up five and a half points from me. Look, Willis looked really good in this offense. I thought him running the football that successfully against a Western Kentucky defense that is pretty strong in the trenches. You know, this is not a weak team that they just went up against. So uh, Liberty up five and a half points, I think, is a pretty, pretty substantial move, but it's warranted. Yeah, I moved Liberty up six, and, you know, Malik Willis, I mean, originally recruited Auburn. I mean, this kid can play, and if they're going to have this up-tempo style, they're going to push the pace, they're going to, you know, let Willis make a lot of plays with his legs, because that was the concern for Liberty. And I talked about this with Brad Powers on the show last week, of Liberty lost so much from last year. Their quarterback, 1,000-yard rusher, Gandy Golden, they lost a ton from that offense, but Willis seems good enough to overcome the loss of a thousand yard rusher, the loss of your quarterback and his running ability is probably going to let some of these guys get open a little bit more. So I think Liberty was a team that, you know, you had to make a significant adjustment for, even though it was only one data point, I moved them up six down six for Oklahoma state. Only two if Sanders can play this week. Uh, Apparently he's wearing a boot into Tuesday. They're going to take it off on Wednesday, see how he looks, but still he's not going to be a hundred percent no matter what. And, The thing about a mobile quarterback like Sanders is he can help limit your exposure of a bad offensive line. Well, if he can't move, that makes the offensive line that much worse. So I said I would cut it down to two. Maybe I cut it down to three uh, with my drop-off for Oklahoma State if Sanders is able to go. Down four on MTSU. Look, if you get trucked by Army, okay, fine. Whatever. You didn't worry about defending the option. You couldn't defend the option. That's fine. You get curb stomped to get your ass kicked by Troy. Yeah, I'm going to move you down. So I moved them down four points. And I don't know. I think Stock still probably won't get fired. I think he's been there long enough to walk away if he wants to. Maybe by the end of the season, they mutually part ways. But MTSU might just be really bad. And maybe last year, Asher O'Hara's running ability was almost out of necessity, more than an upgrade for the offense. So I did have to move them down. I also moved Western Kentucky down three points, uh, by the way you know, for their poor showing against Liberty and also didn't play particularly well against Louisville the week before. couple others here. Uh, Miami, I moved up three points. That may not be enough, although I have them as a 15-point favorite against Florida State this week. So I guess I am higher uh, in the market, although I moved Florida State down three points because, you know, Georgia Tech didn't look good against UCF and Georgia Tech looked pretty good against Florida State. So almost kind of the transitive property adjustment there. 
I guess I would call it. And also Mike Norvell with COVID-19 won't coach Florida State this week. Um, You know, we got a lot of negative feedback for our Miami and Louisville video uh, over on our ATS.io YouTube page. And uh, look, I guess we were wrong on that game. You know, Miami did look really good. Louisville scores a couple of touchdowns and immediately gives up 75-yard pass plays. You can't do that. And maybe Miami's offense just is much, much more explosive this year. The defense should be good when all is said and done with Manny Diaz. And as you mentioned, special teams, a big part of the handicap there. One other one I, I got to talk about, Texas State. I mean, I was really low on that Texas State closing line last week. Maybe UL Monroe is just really bad, and I did move them down a field goal, and they've got a real gem of a game against UTEP here this week. But I bumped Texas State four points. I've been low on the market or lower than the market in all of their games here so far. Maybe they're just not the absolute bottom feeder that they were in the past. Yeah, I think they are a little bit better than they've been in the past. I moved Monroe down four points and God they're uh, bad. What a game this week, you know, ULM and UTEP. It's it's a shame we're not going to talk about that one more in depth. Oh, we can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you want to, we can. You know, I have to say, if I, I was looking at that game last night and I thought, it, you know, if I had to bet that game, what would I do? I think I'd take the points with UTEP if I had to play that, but I, I really would hate myself for taking that as well. So uh, Monroe, not a team I would want to lay points with against anybody. I think they're really, really bad this year. Um, Viator, their coach there, really is in a bad situation. I think I think Monroe is a team that I – I want to bet against whenever I can this year, but the fact that they've played so badly at the beginning of the season, it's going to make it hard because the prices are going to be so, so high against them, obviously. Um, NC State, a team that I moved up two points, uh, six sacks against Wake Forest last week. Most importantly, much better offense than when they were last year. Uh, the back hire, I think, really helped them quite a bit. 6.3 yards per play in that game. Uh, you know, they didn't sniff anything like that last year against any half-decent team. Now, I think Wake Forest defense is going to be pretty bad, but still impressive from NC State. Tulane, I wanted to point out, too, down two points. Howard is not looking good at quarterback for them, and that was a really strange game there against Navy where they get a big lead. I think Howard finished like 10 for 25 passing last week. I know it was in the rain and a little bit of wind, but uh, Tulane getting some pretty poor quarterback play. Uh, hurting them quite a bit there. I moved Tulsa up two and a half points as well. Like I said, I think their defense played better against Oklahoma State than I would have expected, even with Sanders out of the game. That Navy-Tulane game, uh, you know, both you and I kind of looked at it early in the week, and we were like, this line's too high. You know, we, we got to play Navy here. And, and both you and I kind of, again, the same conversation we had to open today's show, neither one of us played it, even though we right. both had power ratings advantages on it. I wound up playing it at seven because I'm like, look, I, I know I missed seven and a half and eight. I missed the better part of the number, but I, I got to dig in here. I got to dig my heels in here somewhere. And then Navy just looks awful in the first half of that game. And I'm just like, oh, God, did you know, did I add a loser to my card here, even though, you know, I probably should have held firm saying I didn't get a good number. It fell to seven. I should just leave this thing alone. And then the second half happens and it came out of nowhere and. It was a strange Saturday, but I was worried because I'm like, man, we took all this shit about the Miami Louisville game uh, in the YouTube comments. I don't know how this one's going to go for us. And then we talked up Navy and then that one started bad. But yeah, not a good look for Tulane. Not a good look for Willie Fritz either. And a lot of people really like Willie Fritz. And I understand why he's done a very good job down there at Tulane. He's done a good job at all the stops that he's had. That's not a good look. When you blow a lead like that to an option team that cannot throw the football, 
that's a bad look. And and I agree with the move down. I didn't touch them just because of where my number was compared to the market. But I could see why, you know, you would make an adjustment like that. And it may be one I'll have to play catch up with after this week. Yeah, Tulane to me, you know, when you get that kind of lead too, there's supposed to be a team that can just run and get first down after first down to to uh, salt the salt the game away. So, you know, here they get in the lead. Um, they threw it a little bit more than I would expect when they're ahead. Maybe they didn't think they could run the football that well, which also kind of concerns me. But, you know, you can't blow that big of a lead against a Navy team that really, you know, doesn't have a quarterback. You know, this is not Malcolm Perry. So, you know, to me, Tulane, that was a game they've got to win. You know, if they don't win a game like that, something's wrong. And and they didn't look very good in the week before that either against South Alabama. So uh, Tulane is a, a team that I'd rather not back until I see something better from them. We'll talk about South Alabama in a second here, but, uh, you know, we talked a lot about misleading box scores last week on the show, and I just, before we get into a a few game breakdowns here, just wanted to, uh, you know, make sure you had a chance to mention the one misleading score from college football uh, that really stood out to you from last week. Yeah, Boston College 26, Duke 6. Look, I'm not saying Duke should have won this game, but this game is misleading. Duke had five turnovers. Um, they sacked Boston College six times. So their defense really was pretty good. The offense was weak, though. Uh, this game was not nearly as one-sided as it appeared. This is a game that should have been, you know, Boston College winning by one score or something instead of a 26-6 to game. So um, I'd be careful about moving Duke too much. I'd also be careful about moving Boston College up too much. I think Boston College certainly getting better quarterback play, but, you know, that, that score line is a little bit deceiving. Yeah, I did move Boston College up a point just because I, I mean, I give Halfley credit. I mean, it was their first game and, and they looked ready to go. Big coaching upgrade, I think, uh, from Steve Adazio. But, you know, I had, mo- I had also moved Duke down two points in my power ratings based on, you know, uh, just sort of looking at the result. Then I looked at the box score and I took away the two point downgrade for Duke because how often is a team going to turn it over five times? And that's why box score study is really important. Um, you know, it turns out that my line's pretty low here this week against Virginia, but now it's in line with the market. So I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on this Duke team, but their turnovers, they fumbled at their own 12. They fumbled deep in Boston college territory twice inside the five. They got picked twice deep in Boston college territory. When those things happen, you're not going to win a football game and they're going to skew, you know, what your thought process is for that game. Because I look and say, Oh, they lost by 20 to a team that hadn't played yet. Duke had already played two games. That's not a good look at all. But then you find out why they lost. And then you go, oh, well, that makes more sense. So that's why it's very important to do this box score study because, you know, your eyes can lie to you or just looking at the results can lie to you. You've got to take that extra step and find out what happened in that game so that you don't wind up, you know, with some recency bias or too much of an adjustment for a team. Yeah, I moved Duke down half a point. Um, I moved Boston College up one point as well. So um, I think Boston College, the coaching upgrade, like you said, is probably the biggest reason for that, too. Um, you know, we knew what they were under Adazio. They were a 6-6 six and six team every single year. You know, they get to a bowl game. Uh, they're either going to finish 7-6 and six or 6-7, six and seven, and that's what it'll be. I think halfway, at least, the, the ceiling is higher. And um, having a good quarterback also helps quite a bit. So I know this is the Thursday night game, and this will really be the only time we talk about this game on ATS.io radio, but I don't think either one of us has a really strong opinion on it. So I didn't want to make it a highlight video clip, but obviously with it being the standalone Thursday night game, 
I did want to talk about it a little bit. UAB touchdown favorite here in this one. Uh, total on what is the total on this game? Have you seen a number on the total? Fifty-one. Uh, Fifty-one here for the total in this one, and you know, at first glance, that feels high. But as you talked about earlier on in the show, and as we'll break down here, South Alabama's got a passing game all of a sudden. Yeah, um, you know, Tyler Johnson's injury, Johnson's injury, certainly a big deal. Um, I adjusted UAB down three and a half points, but I, I was really unsure of this one. This is one of those that I, you know, I, I did not circle that I want to play this game, especially from a side standpoint. Um, South Alabama surprised me quite a bit to have 684 passing yards in two games. Um, though I will say, I think UAB is the second, their secondary is the best in Conference USA. So here comes a good test for for South Alabama. And the other thing is South Alabama's defensive line is going to get a big test here too. You know, a bunch of running from UAB should be expected in this game. And the weakness of this Bama defense should be their defensive line for South Alabama. So um, I think UAB can likely do enough to win this game. I'm not really anxious to lay seven points though here, especially without Johnston. So my lean here would, would be the under. I think 51 is just a little bit too high for this game. Um, South Alabama's games have been a little bit higher than what some people would have thought based on their offense being better. But I do think UAB's defense will be pretty good when they're not playing those really uh, top-notch teams. You know, they're not playing a Miami in a game like this. They're playing South Alabama. So uh, South Alabama's pass game, how are they going to do against UAB secondary, I think is the key to this handicap. And I don't really think South Alabama is going to have the success that they've had in their first couple games. Yeah, I think this one's really interesting because you've got the preseason team and UAB look really good on paper. They had a lot of returning production. They're a very experienced team. They've got an excellent head coach in Bill Clark. We expected UAB to be pretty good this year. And to this point, their two data points aren't great. They struggle with Central Arkansas. And then, of course, you know, the game against Miami, which Miami is just better than them and, and clearly better than a lot of us thought. South Alabama through their two games, looks a lot better than we expect. I mean, if this game is power rated, you know, four weeks ago, it's probably what, UAB minus 13, 13 and a half, 14, something like that. And now it's down to seven. And the Johnston injury does matter in the sense that, you know, they run a lot of play action through him. He, you know, sometimes takes care of the football, sometimes doesn't. But at least he gives them some level of offensive balance because we all know that they primarily want to run the football. But, you know, two data points for each team, does that warrant a six or seven point move from where this game would have been? I don't know if that's the case. So my number here is seven and a half. Anything under seven, I'm slightly intrigued by UAB. But, you know, again, you've got some recency bias in both side and total here where this total is probably what, 44, 44 and a half, something like that coming into the season. Now it's 51. This line's down six, seven points. So do we have some overreactions here? Potentially. Is it enough for either one of us to fire on side or total here? I don't know about that right now. Yeah, the only thing I would bet here would be the under. I'll look at that one a little bit more closely. But I do think 51's a little bit too high. Like you said, I think before the season, this total is 45. You know, maybe 44 and a half. Um, And I do think uh, UAB probably would have been laying 14 before the season. So... You know, there's a, there's a big reaction. Is it an overreaction or is it justified? That's kind of the question here. So it depends on what you think of South Alabama more than anything else. You know, do we think that they're going to be um, 
as good as they've been in those first couple games. Also, Tulane might not be as good as what we thought, so maybe their game against Tulane isn't quite as impressive. Uh, Southern Miss, not a great team either. So uh, UAB, a really well-coached team. I wouldn't want to bet against UAB in this game, but I can't lay seven points. Like I said, I will consider the under in this game. Well, and that's a challenging thing, too, about early in the season to circle back to the discussion that we had early on. You know, okay, South Alabama's got a couple of pretty good data points. You know, they beat Southern Miss as a two, as a double-digit underdog, and then they played well against a Tulane team that, you know, was, what, eight, eight and a half, I think, in that game? And maybe that says more about Southern Miss and Tulane than it actually says about South Alabama. And maybe we find that out this week, but that's also a challenging thing about early on in the year is that some of these results may tell us one thing, but as we go throughout the season, they tell us a different thing. And I know that's why a lot of people go back and regrade some of the performances or, you know, sort of go back and look at, you know, what that line was then compared to what that line, you know, would be now to sort of see, you know, is is it a good indication of this team being better or just the teams they previously played being worse? Yeah. And in this case, it's kind of hard to know the answer to this one. And like you said, I think this game will tell us quite a bit. So, you know, from a side standpoint, that's why I'd rather not get involved because I don't know the answer to that. But, you know, totals wise, I think this one's a bit too high. It'll probably come down some. So uh, we'll see what happens with this game. But uh, UAB, a team that I don't want to go against with Bill Clark as their coach, uh, it's a team that I'd either want to back or just stay away from. And I do think UAB's defense is better than what it's looked so far. So I'll just lean to the under here. Well, we got a highlight video here for you, a highlight game on ATS.io Radio. Taking a look at Tennessee on the road at South Carolina. The Gamecocks will have a certain level of capacity there. There will be some fans in attendance for this game in Columbia. But the SEC starting here this week, Kyle, and obviously that's going to bring a lot of public money into the marketplace on those games. And I think this one is especially interesting here. Take a look at the most recent line that we've got. Uh, and we've got Tennessee here, a three-point favorite on the road against South Carolina. And a Tennessee team that played very well in the second half of last year, a South Carolina team that played one of the toughest schedules in college football and did fall short of a bowl game. Yeah, I have this line a little bit higher. I have this Tennessee minus four here. And I did consider Tennessee when I saw two and a half last night. I, I think that South Carolina is a team that really is going to be hurt a lot by Marshawn Lloyd being out for the year at running back. Um, you know, I know you're a Gamecocks fan as well. So, uh, don't you think that they were basically going to run the offense through him? I mean, even though he was a freshman and he was going to be a newbie, uh, they were going to set up this offense to run through Lloyd. So now they kind of have to, uh, figure something else out. Right. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And the interesting thing here with the new offensive coordinator and Mike Bobo, they don't go with Ryan Holinsky. They go with Colin Hill, who was at Colorado state when Bobo was the head coach there. And maybe that's a decision to a degree predicated on the fact that Lloyd's not out there. Maybe they want a quarterback more accustomed with this system. And Holinsky had some good and some bad last year. And I do kind of wonder if maybe he transfers out now. I mean, obviously, you know, coming from a long way away, got away from Washington state, um, you know, certainly the death of his older brother, Tyler with the tragic suicide, you know, he goes out to South Carolina and, you know, maybe sort of tries to, in a way, get away from it all, and now doesn't get the job starting his sophomore season after taking a lot of lumps last year as a freshman, almost out of necessity because the Gamecocks had no offense to speak of whatsoever. Now they go with Hill, and 
maybe in the short term, that's something that helps. But long term, I don't think that's a great move for the South Carolina program. And I wonder if that kind of plays itself out a little bit here uh, with the offense early on in the year. Yeah, I was surprised. I was pretty surprised. I don't think Colin Hill was really that good uh, at Colorado State. And I'm surprised that he could come to South Carolina and beat out Helensky. I know, like you said, Helensky was kind of up and down last year, but he didn't have great talent around him. He didn't have a great offensive line in front of him. So, uh, and they played a really tough schedule, like you said. I think they played the toughest schedule in the country. So, you know, if you look at South Carolina making these big changes to the offense, um, I don't know that's going to work very well. You know, Bobo, an interesting hire. I know he's going to. They're going to play slower this year. They're going to huddle up. Um, I would look to play some unders with South Carolina this year because I do think that the totals will probably be a bit too high. Um, I think it's, what, 47 in the marketplace here for this game? Um, I was hoping for higher than that. I, I would like the under in this game. 47 is a little lower than I would want to take. Um, Tennessee, I, I think they have a really solid uh, talent base and a really good offensive line. That's what differentiates them from South Carolina, in my opinion, is they're stronger in the trenches. Um, Tennessee... Not great quarterback play either. You know, they don't have any great quarterback. I think Bailey, who's either the backup or third string here at Tennessee, will be very good in the future. But um, Jarrett Garantano, uh, a pretty good quarterback, but nothing wonderful about him. A couple things that stood out to me about this game. Tennessee scored a touchdown on only 48.9% of their trips into the red zone last year. That's a big problem. They got to do a lot better than that this year. They're not going to take the jump up that some people think that they could. I would expect that that will improve because it's hard to be that bad in the red zone again. Um, On the other side, South Carolina only had 47 plays of 20 yards or more last year, which was 110th in the nation. Tennessee's defense only allowed 39 plays of 20 yards or more, which was third in the nation. So they're very good at not giving up big plays. I think that probably continues this year. I don't think there's many big plays from South Carolina in this game. don't really think Tennessee is going to get that many big plays either. I think there's going to be a lot of running and moving clock in this game. So um, Tennessee plays pretty slowly. Like I said, South Carolina played pretty fast last year. I think they'll play slower this year. My favorite play in this one is the under. I lean toward Tennessee. Um, I I think that South Carolina is probably going to have a bit of a down season again. I don't think they're just going to be able to fix it by putting Colin Hill in there and bringing Mike Bobo in. So um, I think it'll still be difficult. And really, South Carolina's schedule is still pretty tough this year. So it's not like they're getting much of a break. No, I think we got in a, we have a consensus opinion here. I, I like the under in this game as well. I do think South Carolina will play slower. They just they don't have the same explosiveness at wideout. You know, they've had some very very good wide receivers come through that program, like a Debo Samuel, like an Alshon Jeffrey, like a Bruce Ellington. They don't really have those guys right now. This is a team that you know I think offensively they will kind of you know regress probably ten or twelve years here with Bobo running slower. You know, a lot more traditional running, maybe some play action type stuff. If Colin Hill can make those throws, maybe it helps the offense. But you've got two defensive minded guys here in Pruitt and Muschamp, where I think both of their defenses will be ahead of their offenses, you know, in part because of the quarterback play, but just because that's what those two guys excel at. And I think Tennessee will clearly be the better team throughout the course of the season. My number's three and a half here. So you're at four, I'm at three and a half. Lean Tennessee in that regard. If it gets below three, may take a piece of Tennessee. But I do think the under is the way to look here. I think these two teams, you know, with the defensive-minded coaches, the former coordinators, will be pretty technically sound. I think that they will have focused a lot on the fundamentals, on tackling angles. You know, I've watched Muschamp a couple times 
with those coaches' film room broadcasts for national championship games or semifinals or whatever else. And he's always preaching those things, tackling angles. And you're just sort of looking at where the running back is lined up to see if it's a run play or a pass play. I think he'll pay very close attention to those details here because he doesn't know what he's going to get from his offense. So I think the under is the way to look here in this Tennessee-South Carolina matchup. Yeah, that's the only way I'd bet this game unless Tennessee goes down more. Like you said, maybe two or two and a half. I lean toward Tennessee a little bit more strongly. Um, I don't like laying points on the road when we haven't seen a data point, really. So um, I know that this season's different, not as much home field advantage. But still, you know, laying points on the road early in the season is a bit dangerous. And I I would just say that, you know, I think this number is pretty low already at the total, but I I don't think this one will go up. So um, most people know that South Carolina is going to play slower. Tennessee is going to run the football a lot. So, you know, 47 is probably still a pretty good number here. Yeah, I agree. Definitely one I would look to jump on early on in the week here. And we'll have some more highlight videos from this Monday edition of ATS.io Radio, including a look at key numbers in the NFL and also taking a look at the Rams and the Bills. So with that, Kyle, any other games that you want to take a look at here for the uh, Week 4 college football card? Well, you know, as I look down the card, I'm wondering about Troy and BYU. Um, I'll get your thoughts on this one. I have BYU favored by 16 here in this one. I think maybe Troy's getting a little bit too much credit for that win against MTSU. Uh, What do you have this line at for Troy and BYU? I've got this one right on the number at 14. However, you know, I mean, you're talking about going to altitude and a place that Troy never goes. So, I mean, this may be ideal for live in-game wagering, especially because a lot of times those second-half lines are very algorithmic, and they probably won't take into account that Troy is playing in altitude, something that they virtually never do. So maybe it's a second-half look or an in-game look, something like that. But I also do agree with you that this line does look a little bit light, even though the money has been on Troy to this point. Right, and I think that um, we'll probably see a 13.5 or 13 in this one. So I'm going to lean toward BYU in this game, and I'll look at this one a little bit more closely. I just think that Troy, you know, let's not um, assume that Troy is a great team just because they beat down MTSU. And like you said, this is a tough spot for them. They never play here. So a live bet or a second-half bet definitely looks like a good potential in this game. One thing, A couple of other things I'll mention here. One other game I want to talk with you about. Uh, Kansas State, I, I sent this uh, tweet to you right before we started recording here that they had a bunch of players that were out for COVID or contact tracing, got 12 of those guys back, and then lost 10 more is what uh, Chris Kleiman said uh, today during his media availability. So Kansas State still has problems with that. Depth issues, not something you want when you face Oklahoma. My number is quite a bit lower than the market on that game. But uh, I'm not touching it at all whatsoever. And maybe I just haven't adjusted Kansas State uh, for the players that are going to be out. But speaking of the Big 12, this Iowa State and TCU game, like somebody put Mexican jumping beans into this line or something because it is all over the place today. Iowa State, uh, I think they opened three and a half at Circa on the world openers. TCU got bet into the favorite. The rest of the market opened. And then Iowa State was back around two and a half or three. Then it got bet up to five. Now it's back down to three. Uh, This is, I guess, the most polarizing game of the week, I would say. Yeah, this is an interesting one. For for Monday, this early in the day, for there to be that many moves is very strange. You know, usually we see a move that's pretty much one way to this point. You know, like you said, a back and forth action like we've seen so far is pretty surprising. 
Um, I think I'd rather have the Iowa State side than TCU in this one. However, you know, this uh, my power ratings don't really suggest that taking three or three and a half is really that great of a move. So um, I think there's quite a few questions about what TCU will be this year. I know people could be down on Iowa State from that first performance, but as we pointed out in the first game, Iowa State has played bad in week one many times in the past. I don't think that necessarily means that Iowa State's going to be really bad all season or weak all season. So I understand liking Iowa State. Um, you know, the line, though, is not not tremendous to me. So interesting to see this kind of line move. It is. And, you know, Max Duggan, the quarterback for TCU, he was one of the players that has been, I don't know if I want to say reported. I don't know if it's ever been fully confirmed, but he was one of the guys talked about with regards to COVID-19. And that would be a big drop off for TCU, who has had some offensive issues here uh, over the last few years. But Duggan's a guy that hangs in there, throws a good football but we'll, you know, maybe we'll get some clarity on his status uh, based on what's happening out here with this line. couple other notable line moves. I don't know if you have any thoughts on these or not before we transition over to the NFL. Florida going up from 12.5 to 14.5 against Ole Miss. That's higher than my number. I'm not going to take Ole Miss here. My number's 10 on that game, but somebody out there likes Florida. And the one that I'm going to create a bald spot scratching my head over, Mississippi State and LSU. LSU lost a ton from last year's title team, a ton. But Mississippi State, a run-first offense, going to the Mike Leach air raid, and somebody's betting on Mississippi State here. That number came down from 18.5 to I'm seeing as low as 16 in the market right now. That one, I I mean, that's a game I wouldn't touch with a 30-foot pole, but there is a line move on it that's of interest. Yeah, you know, the first one I was going to say, Mississippi, maybe the line's going toward Florida because it's a first-year coach situation, but then oh, the yeah. other one is the opposite, you know, so maybe in Mississippi State, why are they immune to that? You know, we've seen the first-year coaches not do well, and I think three it makes and 12, sense. Three and 12 ATS, according to Brad Powers. Yeah, and that's a that's a great stat from Brad. Brad always has some really good information. Um, you know, if you look at Mississippi State, though, why would they be immune from that? You would think that they would be one of the best uh, cases for that because Leach in year one does not have the players that he needs. Um, I think that some people are too high on Mississippi State in general. However, like you said, I don't know that I'm anxious to bet that game because LSU lost a bunch from last year. They've had tons of COVID issues as well. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not surprised that Florida has gone up. I, th- I think that's understandable. I am surprised that LSU has gone down. That one doesn't make much sense to me. Well, there'll be a lot of movement out there in the week four college football marketplace, to say the least. But we're going to transition over to the NFL here. And I did misspeak earlier. I probably had your heart jump into your throat. We're actually doing a highlight video for Dolphins and Jaguars on Thursday night. Not doing one for the Rams and Bills. Although we do have thoughts on that game. We will sh- share them here in a couple of minutes. But Before we get to the highlight topic, I want to do with key numbers, uh, injuries. Uh, The injury list is just staggering going into this week. A lot of season-ending injuries. You've got Bosa. You've got Saquon Barkley. uh, You've got other non-season-ending injuries like Jimmy Garoppolo, Drew Locke. uh, Just a brutal week, too, on the injury front for so many different teams. Yeah, and you hate to see that, especially this early in the season. I mean, you're only in week two and you get a season-ending injury, or in some of the other cases, they're going to at least miss quite a bit of the season. So uh, it's definitely a shame to see that. Um, You know, I I hate seeing that at any point, but this early in the season, and that will obviously change 
some of these teams significantly. You know, I, I think that you could make an argument that Drew Locke not being very good and it's how much of a downgrade is there from Drew Locke. But, you know, you lose a guy like Bosa, you lose a guy like Barkley. It's a big difference to a team. And and Garoppolo, I know he gets some heat and, and he's not an elite quarterback, but, you know, it's a step down from Garoppolo. And I think that Garoppolo has done a pretty good job managing the offense uh, from what Shanahan has asked him to do. So, you know, he got the team to a Super Bowl and they almost won it. Uh, I think we have to give Jimmy G a little bit more credit than some people do. But, yeah, I agree. You know, the injury report this week, it seems like there's, what, about double what the injuries you would usually see. This was a really tough week. Yeah, and Christian McCaffrey out several weeks now for a Carolina team that was already kind of in a weird spot with Bridgewater, first-year head coach and Matt Rule, stuff like that. You know, and look, I mean, the the significant fantasy football player injuries get a ton of run. Guys at the skill positions, but – we got a lot of cluster injuries on the offensive line now. A lot of teams have cluster injuries in the secondary. I mean, we saw that you know impact the Browns in their first two games with all their cluster injuries. They actually get Mac Wilson, Greedy Williams, and Kevin Johnson back at practice today. Maybe a good sign for them as they take on the Washington football team this week. But that's the thing, you know, all of these big name injuries get a lot of run because those are fantasy football players and you know uh, daily fantasy players and stuff like that. What I think you really want to look at are cluster injuries for position groups like the offensive lines, like the secondaries, stuff like that. You know, uh, the Lions in week one, you know, they were already down a couple of corners, lost a couple more, blew that game in the fourth quarter. Cluster injuries are where things get really dicey because the drop off from one player to the next in the NFL, generally not super huge, unless you're talking about, you know, some of the world-class names that we've mentioned already, like Christian McCaffrey probably moves the line a point and a half, two points, something like that. Some of these drop-offs aren't nearly that big, but when you get groups of injuries, those cluster injuries, that's the big issue. And we saw a lot of line movement here, specifically in the totals market, I think, with regards to the cluster injuries on Monday morning for the NFL. It's going to make the NFL even tougher than normal this week to bet, I think. Yeah, and I, I agree with you that the offensive line, secondary, things like that, I think the secondary is especially important to pay attention to. This The NFL has transitioned to, we know they, they throw the football a lot. And if you have a weak secondary cluster injuries there and you're playing against a team that can really move the football through the air, it's a big problem. We saw that with the Lions yesterday against Green Bay. The Lions pretty much uh, you know, sat back and let Green Bay just run the football because they were scared about their secondary. And then you know, Jones puts up a ridiculous number. Um, I think that was trying to protect their secondary a bit, um, not playing as close to the line of scrimmage. But you know, Green Bay was going to score a lot of points in that one. And you know, I know a lot of people took the over in that one, and that was certainly the right play based on that. You know, and like you said, nobody really talks about the offensive line injuries. Uh, the defensive line injuries might get a little bit more run from some people, especially when it's somebody like Bosa. But, you know, these are really important things. And obviously Christian McCaffrey, Garoppolo, people like that are going to make a lot of difference as well. But you're not going to hear about the other ones. So we talk about, you know, you want to try to find some edge. You're better off trying to look at edges for cluster injuries and in groups that you won't hear as much about. Well, and then you can even look matchup dependent wise. You know, for example, Tavon Young for Baltimore, their slot corner, he's probably out for the year. Well, this week they play Kansas City. You don't want to be without your slot corner against Kansas City. If you were playing, you know, the Giants or you know, the Bears or somebody like that, you got a week to figure it out because they're not going to exploit that weakness for you. Kansas City, Andy Reid will attack that every chance he possibly can. 
So there's also that too. Some injuries matter more certain weeks than they would other weeks. And that's one that I guess just kind of stood out there a little bit uh, with Baltimore and Tavon Young. But we got a highlight video here for the NFL taking a look at key numbers with Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper of huntersportspicks.com. I'm host Adam Burke here on ATS.io radio. Key numbers. Primarily, you think three and seven in the NFL. Scoring is done generally in threes and sevens. So three and seven, very key out there from a spread betting standpoint. But the extra point has been moved back. It's not a 99% proposition anymore. So it's brought some different numbers into the fold as far as key numbers go. Yeah, I mean, everybody has known that three, seven, ten, four key numbers in the NFL in the past, they're still key numbers. You know, I don't want to tell you that those aren't key numbers. They are slightly less important than they used to be just because some of these other games, some of these games are landing on numbers that we didn't see before. Usually, you know, in the past, people would say, well, five, that doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you get five or or four and a half or five and a half because, you know, four is all that matters or seven is all that matters or three is all that matters. That's not the case anymore. I wanted to look at a few of these uh, with increasing importance. The number six, if you look at 2003 through 2020, 6.03% of games land on six. If you just look at 2015 through 2019, seven and a quarter percent. So, you know, we're looking at a huge sample size to get 6%. And then you look at 2015 through 2019, you see 7.25. This makes a lot of sense. You know, they're missing some extra points. Some teams going for two more than they used to as well. So, you know, these games landing on six and even eight more often would make a lot of sense. Eight went from 3.49% from 2003 to 2020 up to 4.08%. So, again, eight is more important than it used to be in the NFL. Um, Five points, you know, if you look at five points in the past, I'll never forget people just saying five points makes no difference. You know, it's just going to blow through five. Who cares? Uh, 3.29% from 2003 to 2020. And now from 2015 to 2019, 4.31%. That might not sound like a really big difference, but we're talking about a sample size of 2003 through 2020. So we're incorporating through the end of 2019, and then we're splitting it off and taking only 2015 to 2019. And for it to go up more than 1%, I think that's pretty significant. You know, there's a lot of games in this. It's a large sample size. So It's showing us that those numbers are far more important. Also, one and two are happening more often than they used to. In the past, people would say, well, if you get two or two and a half, there's no point. You just take the money line. And in some cases, maybe that still is the case. But, you know, there are going to be more games that end on a spread of one or two than what they used to be. So that's something to keep in mind. And decreasing as far as what which ones are not as important as they used to be, the number four which I'm kind of surprised it's changed this much, to be honest with you, but it was 5.01% from 2003 to the end of 2019, and then uh, 4.15 for the last four years there. Um, That's a pretty big decrease for the number four, and I think that all plays into what we were just talking about. The number 10, another big decrease, 5.68%, all the way down to 4.61%. So, the, the key numbers that we knew were key in the past are still important. I don't think we want to argue that they're not important. At the same time, uh, a very common question I get is, you know, shouldn't I pay up to try to get plus three? Shouldn't I buy down from three and a half to three? Or shouldn't I? You're paying a lot of money to do that. Uh, you know, if, if you can find a book that allows you to do that without paying huge juice, then, you know, congrats to you, first of all, because that's not going to be very common. But, you know, I, I think buying to a certain number 
usually makes you feel more comfortable, but it's usually not a very good solution in the long term. You know, you're going to lose more money than you gain doing things like that. And, you know, I know there are a lot of handicappers that say, well, you know, it's three and a half, but buy it, buy it down to three, you know, and because it's going to look better for their record. But, you know, then you're paying minus 125 or even more in some cases. And if you lose, you're losing a lot more than you would have lost to start with. So I think that's a caution, cautionary note from me is that buying the key numbers can be pretty dangerous. I like teasing the NFL. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but these key numbers are not what they always used to be. And I don't think many people realize how much more often numbers like five and eight uh, points like that are occurring compared to the past. Yeah, no, I totally agree with everything you said there. And it's it's nice to back it up with data, too, because, you know, we can sit here and say that, you know, there are different numbers increasing or decreasing in importance, and then we don't have anything to back it up. But as you said, over the last few years, you know, since that extra point has been moved back, we have seen fall numbers of six and five and eight show up a lot more often. And it's funny, too, because, you know, we used to talk about between four and six, you know, four and a half, five, five and a half being the dead zone for the NFL. And and that's just not true at all anymore. So, you know, those games that kind of sit between four and six, it used to be, you know, the odds makers could put a number between four and six at four and a half or five or five and a half. Let the market decide, should this number be four or should it be six? Well, now all of a sudden five comes into the equation. And in fact, oddly enough, five comes into the equation last night between the Patriots uh, and the Seahawks. I had plus four in the circa wind up losing that one by a point, wind up losing that one by a yard, quite frankly, But, you know, five becoming a fall number there. And also, too, you've got a little bit of a shift in ideology, maybe some better game theory, some better math out there of when it makes sense to go for two and coaches kind of following through in those situations. We saw Mike McCarthy do it over the weekend. I've heard John Harbaugh talk about it a lot. Just sort of, you know, knowing when to go for two, when the game theory says to go for two. So, you know, yeah, you still want to try and get, a half point above or below, you know, get the minus two and a half instead of minus three, the plus three and a half instead of plus three, stuff like that. But keep in mind here that with these games falling more often on a lot of these single digit numbers, just try to get the best number that you possibly can read the market correctly. And, you know, understand that there are numbers that mean more than others, but a lot of these numbers have meant more over the last few years than they previously did overall. Absolutely. The the game last night finishing on five points and also the Bengals Browns game finishing on five yeah. points. And uh, that was and that a, was one where the spread actually came into play too. the spread came into play. And, uh, you know, the Browns should have covered that number. So if you had the Browns in that game, that was a bad beat. Um, you know, but five happening twice there in one week, I'm not sure if it happened anymore, but I know it's a small sample size, but it just shows you that you can't anymore just say, well, five doesn't matter because it does, you know, and, and I think that that's something to, to keep in mind as you're betting these games and six, you know, like I said, six going to 7.25% of the games finishing on six between 2015, 2019, you know, if you can get a plus six now, versus getting a plus four and a half or five, that six is pretty important. You know, the other kicker misses an extra point, you lose by six instead of losing by seven. So um, it's pretty important to, to find the number six now too. I think it's a little bit more important than most people would realize. So um, the key numbers, the the three, four, seven, you know, 10, they're still important. Four has decreased quite a bit. So I think four is probably the one that, stand, that stood out to me the most. I'm surprised it dropped so much, but it did. Um, and you know, we increase the, all the other ones matter more. So 
the key numbers are not quite as key as they used to be, and some of the ones that we thought that weren't that important are now more important. Before we wrap up this highlight video, there are key totals numbers in the NFL as well. I know you're a big totals guy, especially in college football. What are some of the totals numbers that people want to keep in mind that you know you certainly want to be above or below those with your bets? Yeah, I remember when I was uh, first first handicapping and betting that 41 was considered the key number and betting NFL totals. And I guess I'm dating myself a little bit. You know, I sound like I'm an old guy or something, but, uh, you know, I haven't done this for that long, but, you know, 10 years ago or something when we're talking about it, 41, I mean, if you, if you could get under 41, uh, you know, that's such a key number. But nowadays in the NFL, the scoring is so much higher than it was 10 years ago that 41 doesn't happen very often just because, you know, they're usually higher scoring than that. So um, 41 is kind of the key number now that, if you bet a NFL game below 41 and you take under 40 or under 40 and a half, um, you know, good luck. You know, it's, it's really hard to win an under like that because you get a defensive touchdown or some kind of fluke play. You're probably going to lose. So, um, you know, now 47 is really a key number in totals betting. 48 is as well. So if you look at 46 through 49, if a number moves from 46 up to 49, for example, kind of like the Lions and Packers game did this past week that's moving through some really important numbers. And that means that somebody really likes that over quite a bit because, you know, a lot of them will stop at 47, 47 and a half, 48. Um, when a game goes right through it, that's an example of somebody really likes it. It's a sharp side. Um, I also wanted to point out that 51 and 55 years ago would not have mattered much at all because games didn't get to that point, but 51 and 55 are key numbers now because it happens quite a bit. So uh, 51, a number that I really like to try to get, if, especially if I'm taking an over that's a high over, I like to try to get 51 instead of that 51 in the hook. Um, you know, so 55, another one, because, you know, we have quite a few high scoring games. And again, like, like I said, with 41 in the NFL, you kind of hate to bet an under that's lower than 41. I also kind of hate to bet an over that's higher than 55, because you go from that range and that 14 point spread, most of the games are going to finish in that spread. So, um, you know, like I said, 47, 48, I think are the most key numbers in NFL totals betting now. Uh, 41 still matters if you have two low scoring teams. And then 51, the other one that I think is really important. Well, like we said, we like to talk about a lot of the nuts and bolts of handicapping, a lot more philosophical stuff, a lot more strategy stuff, as opposed to just rattling off picks here on ATS.io radio. And hopefully you've enjoyed these highlight video topics that we've had over on our ATS YouTube page. And we certainly encourage you to subscribe so you can get all of our latest ATS YouTube content. All right, uh, give us a little bit of a breather here for a minute before we talk about this Thursday night game because we will be doing a highlight video uh, of that matchup between the Dolphins and the Jaguars. But uh, as far as you know, the NFL market in general goes, Kyle, you know, we got all these injuries here this week. We've got a lot of line movement coming up here on Monday. Uh, are you still, you know, kind of holding off entering the market too early in the week for the NFL? Um, I played one game here in the NFL on Sunday night. I am going to look to to get in a little sooner on the NFL as well, kind of like I said with college. Um, also, the NFL seems like things that are a bit more stable than college, right? We haven't seen a bunch of games get canceled, uh, games being postponed and moved back to a different date. So I feel like at least for now, you know, and I don't want to make any predictions for the future, but at least for now, the NFL seems like the more stable market and the one that, you know, we know what's going to happen a little bit more than what we do in college. So, no, I, I'm fine with uh, placing a bet early in the week in the NFL at this point. And 
Uh, I think there's been some really significant line moves when we look at these um, here on Monday. You know, for it to be the NFL board to have lit up as much as it has, some of these totals have moved a lot. Uh, some of the sides have moved quite a bit, too. So I think, uh, you know, it seems like I'm not the only one that's kind of interested in playing them earlier in the week again. Speaking of lines moving, the Raiders are down to four now for Monday Night Football against the Saints which I I don't know if there's some sort of injury situation and it's tougher now too, you know, with recording, it's harder for us to sort of, you know, scroll through the Twitter timeline and all that when we're just doing the audio version, but uh, that's a pretty substantial move for tonight. Yeah, it is. I'm I'm kind of surprised. I mean, everybody knew Thomas was out already. I mean, you would have thought everybody would have known that, but you know, for it to move later, I don't really know. Um, I see the 63% of the bets here on the Saints and 51% of the money on Las Vegas. So there is some sharp involvement here on Las Vegas, not a huge split, but um, probably, probably warranted. You know, I kind of think that 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 is probably the side that I would have taken if I was taking something in that game. You know, Drew Brees does not throw the ball downfield like he used to. I don't think with, without Michael Thomas, I don't think this offense is going to be stretching the field like they could even with him and and really even when he plays it's more of the 10 yard passes than it is looking downfield now the las vegas defense is really not very good especially the secondary so we'll see what happens in that one but i'm a bit surprised to see it come down to four when i think it was five and a half even touch six some places right yeah it definitely was all right so let's talk about this thursday night game here for a highlight video on our ats youtube page this is the dolphins and the jaguars a thursday night game that Feels like a lot of the Thursday night games that we've had in the past with a couple of uh, lackluster teams. But we do have Jacksonville here, two and a half or three, depending on where you look for this one. And you know, this is such an interesting game because Miami, they've not looked good. You know, they're certainly 0-2 here. They did cover last week against Buffalo, thankfully, because I have them in the Circa. Uh, but they gave up all sorts of yardage to Josh Allen and that Buffalo offense. And Jacksonville here... So far, two pretty good data points. I know they got outgained pretty badly by the Colts, but you know, made some defensive plays, scored when they had to in the red zone, got the third down conversions they needed to, wind up winning that game outright, and they gave the Titans everything they could handle in week two. So Jacksonville taking the early money here for Thursday Night Football. Yeah, you know, I never know what to say about Ryan Fitzpatrick and in his games, you know, he's really frustrating to predict, you know, he could be amazing, we could see Fitz magic, or we could see the pick sixes show up in no time. I don't like betting the side on his games, I really don't. I tend to lean to overs with him because I feel like he's a pretty good over quarterback one way or the other, right? I mean, he's either going to give the other team a short field or he's going to do some terrific stuff and get big plays for his team. You know, I what I'm most surprised about with the Dolphins is their secondary. You know, they spent a lot of money in the offseason to bring in some really good corners. And for Josh Allen to throw for over 400 yards, I'm not really bashing Josh Allen. I think some people are a little bit unfair to Josh Allen, to be honest. And we'll talk about them more here in a minute. But, um, you know, to throw for more than 400 yards, before this season, he had never thrown for more than 300. So now he throws for over 400 against the Dolphins. I don't know what's wrong with the Dolphins secondary. They shouldn't be this bad, you know, and Gardner Minshew, I think I was too low on him. You know, it seems like consistently he's been pretty good. You know, he, we have enough data points on him now to say that he seems to not be a weakness at least, you know, I'm not saying he's a top notch NFL quarterback, but he's at least not bad. Um, The Jaguars have played better than what I would have thought so far this year, especially on offense. 
Uh, my strongest lean here is the over, but this over has moved up a decent amount from the beginning. So um, the over not quite as valuable as what it would have been before. I think that the Dolphins can move the football on the Jaguars here. I'd be surprised if they can't. The Jaguars, if they keep playing the way they have been and being a little bit more aggressive in the passing game, I think they can move the football too, at least you know, with the Dolphins secondary looking like what it has so far. The Dolphins don't have a great pass rush. Uh, that's something that could bother the Jaguars in some spots, but I don't think the Dolphins are going to be the team that exposes that as much as some teams could. So as far as the side here, and I'm just trying to look at the early early line movement and 65% of the bets so far on Jacksonville. So this one's gone from one and a half up to two and a half or three. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be anxious to bet the dolphins in this game, but I don't think this one will go past three. I can't imagine that anybody would want to lay three and a half with the Jaguars either. So probably three is about the top of the market in this one. As far as the total, you know, we saw as low as 44 and a half or 44. This one's gone all the way up to 47 and a half or 48. I think that's the right line move. I really do. Um, I don't know if I want to take over 47 and a half or 48. If you didn't just watch the highlight video we did just a minute ago, we talked about the uh, key numbers and totals betting for the NFL. 47 and 48 are both key numbers. So um, if you can get 47 or 47 and a half instead of 48, it's pretty important to try to do so. Yeah, you know, this is a, this is an interesting Jaguars offense because they've got some speed at the wide receiver position. You know, they've got some guys that if they get them the ball in space, they can kind of do some things. And it feels like that's been the offensive strategy here for Jay Gruden. It's just kind of let Gardner Minshew throw guys open on short, quick routes and see if you can bust some big plays. And what it's done is actually move the chains. Now, what I will say is that Indianapolis had a complete 180 defensively in week two. In week one, they didn't cover at all. In week two, they covered very, very well, even though they lost Rocky Asin before the game and also lost Malik Hooker during the game. Uh, this Jacksonville offense, though, you know, there is nothing that's really vertical. There is nothing that's really downfield, but it's working. And Jay Gruden's done a very good job with that. The Dolphins last week, Buffalo's got a good defense, but Buffalo's without both of their starting linebackers, Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds in that game, and the Dolphins were able to move the football as a result. The one thing that I will say, and you said this word, I think it's very important for both of these teams, is aggressiveness. The Jaguars are being aggressive in the passing game by throwing it as often as they can, and maybe they'll run with a little bit more tempo as we go forward here under Gruden. And the Dolphins, they're aggressive by trade because Ryan Fitzpatrick is very aggressive. So, I think you do look for points here in this game. I think it's interesting it's a Thursday night game because I wonder how prepared both of these teams are for what they're going to see with that quick turnaround. These were two teams that weren't completely ravaged by injuries, so at least there's that. But, I mean, you know, look, I do think that this probably is an over game, and maybe you hope it's sloppy at the outset to live bet the over, maybe get some of that line value back that we lost with that line move here on Monday morning. Yeah, I think this is a an over game, uh, either try to live bet it, like you said, or possibly even bet a second half over, depending on how the first half goes. Um, you know, I'd hate to take over 48 when, when the lot lower numbers were out there. If I had to bet a side, I honestly don't even know what I would do in this game. I, I think this is one of those games where I won't even consider a side. You know, I don't like to, to say, well, I think I'd take this if I really, really don't have any opinion. So I think this side's about right. Um, I don't like laying points with the Jaguars because, 
you know, this is a team with, if you look at their NFL uh, season win total before the season, you'd be surprised they could lay this many points against anybody. At the same time, they have looked pretty good compared to what you would think, but, you know, teams who have played pretty well in those first couple weeks tend to be inflated a bit. So I don't really want to lay points with the Jaguars here because I feel like I'm getting the worst of the value. So, um, I don't want to take anything in this game. I don't trust the the Dolphins that much, especially the way their secondary is played. So the only way I could look at this game is the over. Um, I wish it was at 45 like it was last night when I looked at this game. Then I could have given you a stronger opinion. But I do kind of still like the over here as long as you can get below 48. Well, I think the important thing to take away from this video, even though we don't have a consensus pick, is that you don't always have to play something pre-flop. Look for a live betting opportunity. Look, it's Thursday night football. You're probably not going to watch UAB in South Alabama, or maybe you're going to do it with picture in picture, or that's your commercial filler, something like that. You're probably going to watch this game. So you're going to want to have action on this game, but you don't have to have action before the game starts. You can live bet a game. And we'll talk about some key things on a highlight video on Thursday with regards to for what to look for with live betting. But I think that's a big takeaway here from Kyle and I is that if you like something and the line moves, wait and see what happens over the course of the game and see if maybe you find a good opportunity to either take that play that you originally liked or maybe you just find something else to take. Absolutely agree with that. You don't always have to place a bet on any game, even if you're going to watch it. And sometimes watching a game like that can give you an edge when it comes to live betting. And we've talked about live betting really as the future of this. So I think that's something for, for listeners and viewers to pay attention to is that you can get value by watching a game and trying to see how the game state is working, uh, get some valuable plays there on the live betting. Well, definitely make sure you check out all of our ATS YouTube videos here and check out our full audio broadcasts of ATS.io radio. All right, lastly, since I said we'd talk about it, I know we're running a little bit long here with today's show, but uh, this Rams and Bills game, I know you wrote up some notes on this. You had some very good thoughts on this game as well. So I want to make sure we took a minute here uh, to talk about this Rams and Bills game before we sign off. Yeah, I kind of like the Bills short of three in this game. I, I think it's two and a half pretty much across the board here. I like this Buffalo team quite a bit. Uh, maybe I'm still underrating the Rams. I played the Eagles um, on Sunday and was very wrong about that one. Still not sure the Rams are quite as good as some people think they are here. Um, two big wins and on the East again. Um, do we know? Are they going home? Or are they? They went home, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's not a great spot there. I mean, they're going home and then coming all the way back to Buffalo. Um, Bills are the best opponent the Rams have played so far. I know that could be a bit, um, you know, some people would really? say, well, they played, they played the Cowboys. But I think for them, matchup-wise, I think this is their toughest matchup that they've played at least. You know, whether it's power rated that way or not, probably not by most people. But I, I think the Bills are a good team. I think the Bills are better than a lot of people think they are. Uh, as you see, the Bills... Um, on offense, you know, Allen has far more weapons to work with than he has in the past. And I wondered how much better he would look. He's looked a lot better. You know, I, I think the, the Bills offense is really, you know, not the weakness that it was in the past. You know, in the past, we said, well, the, the Bills have to win these low scoring games. They don't have to win the low scoring game anymore. They can go score quite a few points. Um, having those more weapons on the outside, I really think helps uh, Allen quite a bit. And like I said, Earlier, I think Allen's a bit underrated by some people at this point. I know he misses some some easy throws, 
But he also makes plays out of some things that other quarterbacks wouldn't. Uh, I'm not saying Allen's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but I also don't think that he's a joke that some people try to make him out to be either. So uh, the Rams, you know, we've seen Jared Goff look pretty bad in some spots in the past. And I know he's played well so far this year, but I, I don't know that I trust Jared Goff a lot in this game. Like I said, the Rams going in here 2-0, and feeling pretty good about themselves. The Bills... Um, you know, I think they're just a pretty quality team that still might be getting a little bit undervalued by the marketplace. I, I like the Bills short of three. As we look at this current total, what's the total sitting at right now? 47 and a half. Where did this one start? Lower, right? Yeah, 45, 45 and a half-ish. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I kind of like the over in this one too, but here we go talking about a one another one that's moved up quite a bit. You know, you get a three-point line move through key numbers like that. Um, not great. I would still lean to the over. I will say that this is the time of the year you want to start paying attention to the weather in Buffalo as well. So this is a place I'd rather make uh, a bet on a total later in the week than I would earlier in the week. Because, you know, once we get into late September, October, November, you can see some pretty bad weather games, especially with wind there in Buffalo. So not anxious to take an over earlier in the week. I do like the Bills side here. I haven't bet this one yet. Um, This is one I'm going to look into more, but... Everybody likes the Rams so far that's betting this game. 72% of the bets on the Rams, 88% of the money on the Rams. So I don't know. I mean, how low do you think this number can go? Yeah, I don't think it goes too much lower than this. I mean, you know, you're going to have the situational betters that come in and look at the fact that, you know, as we talked about already, Rams going all the way home, coming all the way back. In fact, the most glaring situation like that, San Francisco is playing in the exact same stadium next week, and they still went home and will come Mm -hmm. back. So, that's just kind of, I guess, the, the new normal here with COVID. If COVID wasn't going on, those two teams probably would have stayed on the East Coast, and that would have been you know, maybe a little bit different of a situational handicap. The one thing I think about the Bills here is that they had a chance to use their running game and salt that game away in the fourth quarter uh, over the weekend. And instead, they took two deep shots, went all the way down the field, scored an insurance touchdown, wind up giving up the garbage time touchdown. Miami gets in the back door, thankfully for me. But they didn't sit on the lead. They played aggressively. They went out there and scored more points. And I think that sort of signals a lot of different things. A a change in culture for Buffalo. A change in the belief in Josh Allen. And a change in the composition of that roster to the point where they like the weapons that they have. So I think those three things where Buffalo went out there and played to win and played, you know, didn't play that not to lose game that so many teams do. That was an eye-opening moment for me with this Buffalo team. And it is something that would give me more confidence playing on them as opposed to playing against them here, not just this weekend, but in future weeks as well. So I think you were definitely onto something with your thoughts there. Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com and bettersportspicks.com. What do you got going on over at the websites right now, man? So uh, huntersportsfix.com, we've got the newsletter going out every weekend. Uh, won, won the NFL teaser again yesterday, 95 and 60 run on the free picks there. So you can sign up for that. Also got the newsletter going now at, at bettersportspicks.com. Uh, if you sign up for that newsletter over at bettersportspicks.com, I have a special offer going on right now where I will send you a free premium selection. So if you're not a member of that newsletter and you want to go over to bettersportspicks.com and sign up for that newsletter where you'll get at least one free play every single week, go sign up for that. Send me a message either by email or at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter, and I'll get you a free premium selection. One last note here, Max Duggan is cleared to play for TCU. So that broke about 50 minutes ago, which is why that line uh, continued to jump around. 
to say the least. Kyle, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always a great time, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper, huntersportspicks.com and bettersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. We'll chat with Brian Blessing, and maybe I'll do the betters box tomorrow. If not, I'll do it on Wednesday here for ATS.io radio. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.